Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And what is Too Many Lawyers? It's the weekly podcast with uh, the two of us. We're both lawyers. We're both legal analysts. I'm baby boomer libertarian. Connor is a millennial progressive. And we Filthy our... commie. Yeah. Well, you know, that's <clears throat> that takes the shine off of it, right, the yeah. way you put it that way. Yeah. And if anybody knows the uh, Larry Sanders show really well, you'll know where I got the phrase, takes the shine off of it. Can't say it on a family podcast, but that's uh, that's for you to look up on the internet. A classic show. So we talk about the big uh, legal stories of the week, and we have four huge questions to address here, Connor. Would you like to hear them? Please. Okay. So the first question has to do with the split decision out of the U.S. Supreme Court on Biden's vaccine mandates. You know, one um, good news for the conservatives, one good news for the liberals. So here's my question. Are conservatives pushing Justice Kavanaugh into the arms of the left? And the reason I ask that is because... Oh, no, tragic. One one Tucker Carlson called Kavanaugh a cringing coward for not joining joining the conservatives... From his own team. ...in one of the two Biden decisions. That's issue one. Issue number two has to do with the fact that Sirhan Sirhan, who murdered Robert F. Kennedy in 1968 has has been denied parole by the California governor, Gavin Newsom. But the reasons he's denying Sirhan's parole are kind of interesting. So my question is, did Newsom deny Sirhan parole because the governor is a fanboy when it comes to Robert Kennedy? Yeah, maybe the wrong reason. We'll figure that one out. Question three, we all know Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted of uh, sex sex abuse and uh, all sorts of terrible activity in terms of the underage gals who were victimized by Maxwell's pal, Jeffrey Epstein. My question is, will Maxwell's sex stories sink famous folks? Because, of course, in order to get a lower sentence, she just may start blabbing. Singing like a canary. Singing like a canary in the coal mine. Right. Oh no, that's mixed metaphor and totally wrong. Yeah, inappropriate. probably true. Not only mixed, but stupid. <laughs> Finally, fourth question. This has to do with the fact that a, a former guy, he's now a woman, uh, identifies as a woman. He's a very good collegiate swimmer. She, yes. She's a very good collegiate swimmer. Difficulty is there at the University of Pennsylvania where she now swims, um, She's a little full of herself. She's comparing herself to the Jackie Robinson of trans athletes, and her born female colleagues are not real happy about this. So we're going to address all of those issues, plus the guess the verdict feature at the very end of the podcast. Connor will do his best to guess the outcome of a real live legal dispute. I'll give you a little hint. It's about a bag of dope in Lubbock, Texas. Mm, a bag a of criminal dope matter. Not my forte, but Lubbock. I want to take a crack at it. Well, who knows if it's criminal? You know, they're legalizing dope everywhere. Good point. Maybe not Lubbock, Texas. Probably not. Probably not. All right, so let's get to question one. Are conservatives pushing uh, Brett Kavanaugh into the arms of the left? Isn't it ironic? Kavanaugh, absolute epitome distillation of evil. I mean, he might as well be Satan on planet Earth, according right. to many people okay. in America. There we are. 
And yet he's voting so much with the centrist Supreme Court Chief Justice well, you John get, Roberts. You, you, you start a new job. You're not going to rock the boat. You know, <laughs> yeah. the first Gorsuch week. seems to be splashing water all over everybody. Well, you guys, yeah, I think I think Gorsuch not wearing is a doing mask. Wrong. You got to suck up to. Yeah, well, there's that. You got to suck up to the big boss, and John Roberts is definitely uh, the big boss. At least for now, we'll see Chief Justice Amy Coney Barrett in the the near future. I'm sure. Speaking of Gorsuch, we'll get to the Kavanaugh drama in a moment, but somebody told me that Gorsuch refused to wear a mask at yeah. the oral argument the other day. Yeah. And Sotomayor, who's got some comorbidities maybe, actually, yeah, she actually declined to attend the oral argument in person because apparently she'd have to sit next to next Mr. To no her. Mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's got to cause a little tension around the lunch table at yeah, the Supreme Court. absolutely. I mean, Gorsuch has, as some people have described, a libertarian streak, uh, or other people could describe as a not caring about other people streak, uh, has decided to... Uh, to disregard uh, the health of the people that he has to work with for literally the rest of everyone's life. They're all locked in for life. This is not like in the lunchroom you can piss off Steve because there's a lot of turnover at this office. And one either you or Steve is going to be gone in six months, so who cares? These people will work together for the rest right. of their working lives, uh, which for many of them is their actual lives. Uh, I mean, who retires these days from the Supreme Court, right? Apparently, Breyer, retire. But this, Anthony Kennedy, he retired. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm just demanding it uh, of, of our, our man Breyer. Uh, my man, sorry, my man Breyer. Uh, look, this is obviously a, 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 a way to scream at the top of his lungs in the quietest way possible to not wear a mask in the Supreme Court when all the media, everyone in attendance is required to wear a mask. Do we think he's like an anti-vaxxer? Some sort of a a nutcase that ignores actual medical science? Who knows where he gets his information? Who knows where he comes to his Novak Djokovic? Yeah, he's basically... Of of the court? Not the tennis court, but the Supreme Court? They're they're both of the court, right? Have you heard the fun nickname they've come up with uh, for Novak Djokovic? Mm. Well, he's now called No Vax Joe COVID. Oh, I love it. No Vax Joe COVID. No. And so if he gets denied entrance to Australia or if right. he's kicked out, yeah. uh, then he's got to live with that plus a really dopey nickname. Yeah. Somebody uh, said uh, on, on Twitter in an angry way, if they'll do this to the best tennis player in the world, what do you think they'll do to you? And the, the, the response was, Wait, did Serena Williams did something? They do something to Serena Williams. Isn't, that, isn't that redundant? Angry Twitter way. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's every expression in. of opinion on Twitter. You know, I'll say Australia. Now. Twenty-one million people has had something in the realm of uh, six thousand people die from COVID. Florida, similar size, it's like ten x. Wow, wow. So let's get to the Kavanaugh situation. Uh, Split decision uh, on the vaccine, everybody knows, out of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, as to whether the OSHA law, Occupational Safety and Health Act, permitted the um, Biden administration to say, hey, uh, as to all large companies, every company with 100 or more employees, doggone it, this is an emergency. It's a grave emergency. We don't need to go through the six-month hoo-ha. Let's just uh, implement the the Biden vaccine mandate right now. The Supreme Court said, nice try, but the statute's language does not justify you doing that, you lose. On the other hand, uh, there was a 5-4 decision saying, yes, you may, Biden administration, impose mandatory vaccines on health workers in hospitals that get federal money. So Kavanaugh joined the conservatives in rejecting the OSHA big company deal, but he joined the liberals and Chief Justice Roberts in saying, "Eh, it's okay, we can force the mandate for the hospital folks. So, uh, you know, it was life and death 
for the left. It was an interpretation of the law for the right. You know, there was convoluted statutory language in this uh, OSHA law. It was kind of an issue of first impression. But partisans on both sides cried foul. Yeah. Um, so first question for you, you know, what's your opinion of the decisions yeah. on the merits? And then the second question, what do you think of dopey uh, Fox News host Tucker Carlson attacking Kavanaugh as a cringing coward. I mean, can you say David Souter? Isn't he going to drive Kavanaugh into the arms of the liberals? I saw Kavanaugh in his confirmation hearing screaming about how he loved beer. Uh, I did on too. The, on the verge of provocative. Tears. Uh, I, I doubt that this sort of criticism will will turn him into a, 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 a pink hat wearing lib. But um, but he's really sensitive to criticism. Oh, yeah, that's clearly true. That's this true. guy turned his uh, confirmation hearings into kind of a political screed where yep. he's talking about the Clintons are against me and so yes. on. He seems like an emotional guy. Oh, yeah. If, if somebody else is going to attack him, like Tucker Carlson and the hardcore conservatives, isn't it possible yeah. he'll turn against them, too? Yeah, it, it, it is possible. Uh, I doubt it that I think that that would be too big a heel turn for, for a guy like Kavanaugh, but it's possible, especially as, as the years go by. As to the substance of the decisions, it, it as, as I read it and the analyses of it, it seemed to come down, the OSHA uh, part of the argument seemed to come down uh, on the, the side of the conservatives saying, you can't do this because OSHA is not allowed to regulate this. Because OSHA is only allowed to regulate workplace dangers, right. and COVID is not unique a, to the unique workplace. To certainly. a workplace, right? Which is b- bizarre and short-sighted, and I think intellectually dishonest. When you have a situation like a global pandemic, that changes what you would define or should define as a workplace danger. You should not think of okay, well, if you have the Triangle Shirtwaist fire. Uh, caused all these people to die in a factory because of a fire. Fire exits are very important in factories, and OSHA can regulate them as a result. Is the idea of fire as a workplace danger, of course, that falls under OSHA's uh, ambit. Well, just because there exist forest fires or fires in people's hearths or you know inadvertent fires like car fires or anywhere else there exists a fire, that does not mean that it uh, in the workplace fire does not present a danger. And so the the court does have this difficult uh, job of defining what a workplace danger is. But the idea that you would say that. Uh, uh, a, a threat that is pervasive, you know, in the air all the time, and therefore is in it, office place air, factory floors airs, retail service area air. It is everywhere. It would be like if the whole dang world was on fire and the Supreme Court said, well, OSHA can't say that uh, Walmart has to put out fires in right. its stores because fire exists elf- elsewhere. Completely ridiculous but- and totally, I think, a hair-splitting legal definition straddling conservative, politically motivated move to say, government, get out of this. We don't think coronavirus is real. We don't think the risks are real. We don't think that the, 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 the job of the federal government is to save American lives. We think it's to get out of the way of the status quo machinations But isn't this dispute kind of symbolic of the whole fight between progressives and let's call them strict constructionist conservatives sure. in general? 
with the progressives on the one side saying, um, what don't you understand about what's right and what's honorable yes. and what's fair and saving, let's save lives. Yeah. And the conservatives saying, yeah, that's great that you want to run the world and control every aspect of our lives, but we're governed by statutes. And the statute here, like it or not, doesn't justify the mandate. So don't talk to us about saving lives. Isn't that what's going on? Isn't that what went on with abortion, where the the liberals say, hey, there are penumbras and emanations and sort of edges of, 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 of rights, and included in the penumbra is privacy, and included in the privacy penumbra is abortion, and therefore, let's give, uh, let's give the pro-choice people a win, whereas the conservatives say, but, you know, set aside you know, all this business about emanations. The fact is, there's no privacy right recognized. Now, I'm not saying who's right or wrong yeah. there. It just seems like we've seen this record uh, played before. Or well, we have it the same. We have drama. because the conservatives have won in Supreme Court politics. They have won well, this often. Branch. They didn't during the Earl no, no, Warren they, era, they have, but often they, they have, have gotten to define in the last fifty years what the debate is. The debate in the Supreme Court is now what is the definition of a workplace danger, and can we justify an extension of federal power uh, via OSHA uh, to allow its regulation? Right. In the Warren era, when you were, you know, arguing about segregation as you a, a, a good example of an a, a time when things were different, they weren't arguing uh, primarily about what the word segregation means or integration means. They were saying, how do we do the right thing? How do we uh, vindicate this law and its purpose and, and, and make the world a better place? Which, in my view, a filthy commie progressive view, is the right way <laughs> to you know, make the world a better place. I think that should be the function of law. But instead, conservatives in the last almost 80 years have slowly won over and now completely and totally won the debate by deciding the terms. They've they've established the ground rules, and the ground rules are now that we argue about the dictionary definitions of words and the intents of people, the intent of people who were wearing white wigs and had wooden teeth or whatever, and owned mm -hmm. slaves, and we decide that their judgment was correct, right. or we decide that the people whose uh, you know judgment, uh, in, including the words workplace danger in the OSHA founding uh, statute, uh, had all the right uh, opinions and knew about coronavirus and would have had an opinion on coronavirus and would have had the right opinion on coronavirus. And the idea that they did is simply silly, but we still pretend that that's the right way to approach legal concepts because the conservative legal project has been so successful. I'm going to disagree with your self-characterization about filthy commie. Oh, thank you. You are not filthy. Oh, that's so nice of you. I did bathe today. There you go. Hey, when we come back, did Gavin Newsom deny Sirhan's parole because the governor is a Robert Kennedy fanboy? We'll get into that. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you like to use. Apple Podcasts, probably. Maybe Stitcher. Maybe Spotify. Maybe any other platform where we appear, which is most of them. Uh, we would love to get a written review or a five-star rating from you uh, on any of those platforms. We read all those reviews and really appreciate each one, so drop us a line. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Sirhan Sirhan uh, murdered Robert Kennedy in 1968. After he, uh, the very night, he won the California primary, uh, might have been on his way to winning the nomination, and who knows, could have done a little better than Hubert Humphrey, might have beaten Richard Nixon for the presidency in that year. 
Uh, many times, Sirhan has been denied parole, but recently the parole board said, yeah, it's time. You know, he's mid-70s, he's not a danger to anybody, seems to be sort of halfway sorry, so let him out, Governor. And under California law, Governor Newsom has the final say, and his final say was, forget about it, he stays in prison. So... Here's my issue. Now, what if Britney Spears, who recently had the conservatorship lifted, what if the conservatorship was lifted because, doggone it, the judge in charge was such a fan of Britney's residency in Las Vegas? We wouldn't (laughs) want that, would we? No, probably not. Probably not. Um, The court notes the unbelievable talents of Miss Britney. uh, You know, it'd be like the pink clad people in the street outside the courthouse got to decide. Free Britney, free Britney. A reporter asked some of the people I recall, uh, have you actually reviewed any of the psychiatric reports the court relied on to justify the continuance of the conservatorship? No, free Britney. Okay, we don't want that in our legal system. So what's that got to do with Gavin Newsom and Sirhan? Well, the problem when it comes to Robert Kennedy is that the governor is was a huge fan. Uh, he said when people were asking him recently, oh, you're going to go along with the parole of Sirhan. He said, uh, you know what? All you need to know is that if you walked into my office, you would see a single picture and it would be a picture, a photograph of Robert Kennedy with my father. Newsom's father was uh, on the California Court of Appeal years ago. So uh, is that really what we want in terms of a motivation? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of suspicious that if the person Sirhan had murdered had been sort of a Donald Trump or a George Wallace, who was also running for president in 1968, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not so sure we'd get the same decision. And is it really right for a denial of parole to be based on the governor being a fan of the victim? Yeah, it, in my mind, it brings to uh, ahead the reality of, of having a politically uh, determined position like the governor uh, making decisions we see uh, as legal, right? We don't see the the process of parole as one that should be politically motivated or personally motivated. Right. We think of judges and juries as neutral somehow. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think that judges and juries are not neutral. They're human beings. They have political opinions and uh, biases. There's no way to separate that uh, out and prevent those things from affecting their decisions. And we should not close our eyes and pretend there's a way that that uh, can be done and uh, pretend that judges' decisions are all based on some sort of cold Aristotelian uh, logic uh, or uh, ideal, um, but instead recognize that they're human, that they're the product of their their upbringing and their culture and their, uh, their experience and their everything. And you... By acknowledging that, you can account for it. You can structure your society and uh, evaluate the decisions that they make uh, on that basis instead of uh, pretending that they only call balls and strikes, because I think that is where you have real danger. Well, I hear you. You know, one thing that gets me going on this is I think there was plenty to talk about in terms of a justification for denying parole to Sirhan other than the fact that, oh, Robert Kennedy, my father was in the picture. He was wonderful. Now, it's true. That you know, I think it's legitimate to say, hey, if you murder somebody who was the choice of maybe 40 million Americans, yeah. that's different. I mean, I'm not demeaning the life of the convenience store clerk who's shot by somebody. It's not yeah. that Robert Kennedy was better than the 7-Eleven yeah. clerk. But when you actually take that choice away yeah. from tens, scores of millions of people, well, what you're it's doing- a big deal. It's like when we say capital punishment for cop killers or, or presidential candidate killers or something like that. I, I think there's an argument for that. And when you look at Sirhan, first of all, he barely admits that he did it. He, he says, I don't really remember. 
remember it. You know, I guess maybe I must have done it. But, you know, uh, and that's not really conducive to concluding that he's remorseful. And then mm-hmm. more importantly, when they asked him in the parole process, well, now, if we let you out, you know, you, you wouldn't do anything like this again, would you? He didn't say, of course I wouldn't do it. I have an incredible remorse for what I apparently did. Instead, he said, you know, I can't imagine myself being in a position like that where that, I would be tempted to do that again. Yeah. Oh, that's a real satisfying answer. No, yeah, go, go so off seems to a halfway of justification yeah. to think that this guy is not exactly, not a danger to society anymore. Uh, and uh, the fact that he goes back to, you know, RFK uh, picture on the wall seems like the wrong way to do it. I, I think the idea of... Uh, that you bring up a very interesting, complicated issue of, you know, uh, of, of increased punishments for, as you put it, maybe uh, people who kill police officers or politicians. It, it, in my mind, comes down to, I think we've done an okay job at least setting the stage in determining how we punish uh, murderers or criminals based on their uh, I- bad intent. The idea of, well, first degree murder is, uh, is worse than, uh, than, than recklessness murder uh, because of their intent. And in the same way, murdering a political figure uh, reviled um, or loved is a political act and one designed to hurt more than just the person you're killing. Right. It's designed to harm the psyches of all the people uh, who are engaged in the democratic process, who put trust and faith in the democratic process and think that it, it will work. Um, and so I can see punishing that more harshly. And you can make an argument in the same way that killing a cop or a social worker or somebody else who we think of as somehow part of the fabric of our society and our government. I mean, you could make the same arguments where somebody kills a USPS postal worker. And when you get down to it, you can kind of make an argument <laughs> on moral grounds for, for most uh, folks as being somehow a member of the fabric of our society. And so at a certain point, uh, the logic fails or falls apart. But I get why that's uh, where we go. And, you know, obviously a political uh, candidate for president potentially um, is especially emotionally resonant yep. to people. And and Sirhan has committed a crime uh, not just against RFK, but against everybody. Let's move to topic number three it has to do with Ghislaine Maxwell, convicted of sex abuse very recently. And my question is, will Maxwell's sex stories sink famous folks? Now, she's looking Couldn't at... find any more S's to get into that title? I can't. I can't. I, I spent an hour coming up with them. I have no more S's. So she is 60 years old. She is looking at mm, in the neighborhood of 60 years uh, behind bars. So that, that could translate to a life sentence, Connor. Although she's a woman, and so she lives longer than guys. That's which true. Which is fundamentally unfair, but what are you going to do? <laughs> So she has an opportunity to talk to prosecutors and say, well, that was an interesting trial we just went through. Didn't see that coming. Right. But since the judge is going to be thinking about my sentence in the next few months, I'd like to talk to you about what I know about what was going on at Jeffrey Epstein's mansion, which she has an opportunity to do because she didn't testify at trial. And she didn't say, oh, I never saw anything bad under oath. Uh, subjecting yourself to, to perjury. Right. And so now she could say, okay, I got a little information. Maybe I was not motivated to talk before. On the airplane, the Lolita Express were Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. The Daily uh, Mail in England uh, studied the logs uh, during the Clinton White House, and Epstein visited the White House during Clinton's presidency 17 times during a three-year period alone. He was joined by eight different women. So who knows what she might 
know. Uh, you think there's a possibility that she might want to wheel and deal and try to flip herself, uh, meaning uh, it could be a real, uh, uh, real unpleasant situation for some people she might identify. Yeah, I think it's very unlikely that uh, Maxwell goes down um, without a, a fight in this way. I think that the reason for her to not testify in her trial, uh, I mean, there are other lots of strategic reasons. And, and by default, a lot of times people do not testify because it can go badly wrong for them. But in this case, um, the fact that she protects herself from a, a potential perjury uh, charge if she, she starts to sing later and therefore would have to change her tune makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's very likely she starts naming names in the near future. Now, some of these names are names that we, um, you know, have have heard before, uh, of course, but uh, we don't really know um, uh, who she's going to start pointing the finger at in the future. And it's also really hard to 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 know how we could believe someone well, in this and situation. That, that's exactly the, the point that popped into my mind uh, just as you were talking she better have the goods. Right. She better have the proof because her credibility is rather dubious. Her motive to yeah. avoid a life sentence is very strong. Extremely. So, so who knows if she has anything like that up her sleeve. Right. Hey, when we come back, our fourth and final question, should a collegiate trans swimmer be comparing herself to Jackie Robinson? Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So there is a collegiate trans swimmer. She swims for the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, she uh, competed as a man before she started identifying as a woman. And she was pretty good. She was second team uh, in the Ivy League in 2019 as a male. And her name is Leah Thomas. She was born a man, and she's a real good swimmer. She now identifies as a, as a woman. And she is so proud of the fact that as a member of the University of Pennsylvania women's swim team, she is the fastest in the nation at the 200 freestyle that she brags about it to her classmates all the time after a recent win. She said, that was so easy. I was cruising. And now... The cherry on top, she's comparing herself to Jackie Robinson. She is the Jackie Robinson of trans athletes. Now, I get that we don't want to discriminate against trans athletes right. or trans people. I get that we don't want to make them some sort of, you know, some weird special category. All right, Pariahs. now we're, yeah, we're going right. to have all the, the, the trans athletes compete in this track meet or whatever. Right. On the other hand, I mean, isn't there something to be said for the right of the women who have always identified as women, who are elite swimmers, who know, as one of them was saying, you know, she, tearfully, she's saying, I know I'm going to lose. One race recently, uh, she beat all of her f uh, born female competitors by 38 seconds in some, you know, 200, 400. 100 meter uh, race isn't isn't there something wrong with this picture so there is there are, are smart people who have been thinking about this problem for a long time um and when i say problem uh it's not really a very big one uh trans athletes competing in sports uh at, at a high level at a, at a, a serious level um, at, at a level that can determine, you know, the outcomes of people's lives, like these these races might in some way, if you're going to become some sort of professional or end up in, a, in the national championships. It or seem like a black swan kind of thing. Yeah, for, it's, it's very it's yeah. very rare. Most the vast majority of of trans people are not competitive athletes at all because the vast majority of people are not competitive athletes of all and at all. And there are not a lot of trans people out there. Um, and in addition to that, even when they are competitive athletes, uh, it's very rare that they're top tier competitive athletes. It's very rare that the, you know, average uh, man uh, in sports could compete with the the top women in most sports. Um, 
the vast majority of them. Uh, but when it does arise, there have been smart people thinking about this sort of issue and how to deal with it for a long time. And the NCAA, uh, the National Collegiate uh, sports body uh, has been thinking about this problem, and they had have come to the conclusion that a certain period of time of taking hormone replacement drugs, including a drug called spironolactone, which is an androgen blocker, which is brutal on your body, really, truly brutal on your body. Uh, people with breast cancer uh, often take it, um, and it has some truly debilitating effects and causes massive uh, a bone density loss and muscle loss as you uh, change, transition. Um, and uh, in this case, Leah Thomas uh, has been on that regimen for uh, longer than the uh, the required period of time to compete under NCAA rules. And uh, her times dropped dramatically from the time when she was competing um, as a man to the time when she was competing as a woman. Um, and, and she is still uh, a, a very good, very competitive swimmer. The question of whether this person should be comparing themselves to Jackie Robinson, guess what? I ain't making that call. It's not my job to determine in 2022 as a, 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 just a random human who was born in 1989 and who has to evaluate everything that I have ever known through my lens and my experience to determine who is Jackie Robinson in this uh, current day and age. You know, 50 years from now, they will look back in the same way that we can look back from 70 years ago at Jackie Robinson and say who the Jackie Robinson uh, of baseball was. It was Jackie Robinson. But now... I can't know if she is the Jackie Robinson of women's of trans women's collegiate sports. I am not begrudging her, a person who is under a national spotlight and incredible intense scrutiny and who is a high in a high pressure situation as a competitive athlete from defining herself the way that she wants to be defined. And in my opinion, this issue is one where the value of allowing trans people to compete as their uh, as the gender that they identify as and be members of our society full and participating members of our society not excluded or kicked out or stigmatized or or, or you know put under the spotlight by the national media and judged as to whether they really are the gender they identify as and have changed their entire life to become uh, that value so outweighs the danger that somebody might lose a race that it just doesn't matter to me so I um, I hate to correct you twice in one episode, oh, Connor, but what earlier you said you were a filthy commie and you're not filthy. Oh, thank you. So, so there's that. Yeah. And now you said you're a random human. You're not random. Thank you. Connor. You're human, but but you're not random. I'm specifically you're chosen. my son, Aww. so I'm not going to call you. you random. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We have time for Guess the Verdict, Connor. America's favorite game show. Yes, America's please. Game. Okay, so I'm going to describe a real live legal dispute, and you're going to guess the outcome. And this is a doozy. It's out of Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock. Love Lubbock. Home of Texas Tech. Three ladies from Lubbock embarked on a on a road trip to California. They oh. were driving an SUV, and they had uh, a U-Haul trailer. They were hauling uh, a trailer. And this is like Thelma and Louise, and we'll call her Brunhilde. Sure. The third one. <laughs> yeah. So Thelma and Louise and Brunhilde are rolling along. Doggone if they didn't suffer a rollover accident. Oh, no. You know? Well, those now, U-Haul trailers are dangerous. Well, you the don't ladies, know That's the ladies' theory. They think that the SUV flipped over a couple of times because of the doggone U-Haul trailer. Yeah. So they sue the U-Haul people. During the trial, sure. it came out that the ladies spent most of the trip working their way through a bag of marijuana. Oh, sure. Yeah. So the jury votes for, for U-Haul, and the, the lady's lawyer, he, he's not happy. He argues that on, on appeal that there were some loose references to a bag of dope 
that prejudiced the jury. So now you're at the appellate level. You uh, worked at the California Court of Appeal uh, level. So you've I got did. some unique experience it's on true. this, Connor. You, you've evaluated some appeals. How do you think this appeal turned out? Uh, the U-Haul people happy or were Thelma, Louise, and Brunhilde happy? Yeah. Interesting case. I think the the specifics of, of course, of exactly how uh, one talks about an intoxicant being present in the vehicle right. when uh, people crash the car and the causation. Causation is a, a, a fundamentally it's a concept that juries determine. Right. When 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 a jury is, is brought into a case, they are the ones who say what caused what and Judges do not second guess that on appeal. A very, very famous case, maybe the most famous case you'll ever learn if you go to law school, uh, is called the Paulsgraph case. Uh, Paulsgraph versus Long Island Railroad, and it's about a, a little old what, lady. Brown versus Board of Education is chopped liver. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is like day one stuff here that you learn uh, Paulsgraph. And I and- suppose Marbury versus Madison doesn't <laughs> count either. True. That's a, that's it. That's con law. That's semester two. Yeah. Day one, you learn Paul's graph. And it's about this uh, little old lady who claims to have been hurt uh, at a, a railway station after an explosion. And the judges c- jump through some crazy hoops to come to the conclusion that they want to come to. And a lot of people think that they did so as a way to, in a legal way, uh, dodge the question of the whether the jury at the, uh, the trial court level made a big mistake on causation. And they had to go through these gymnastics in the Paul's graph case to say um, that this woman uh, was harmed uh, because the jury made a silly uh, decision or wasn't harmed because the jury made a silly decision uh, about causation. So I think this is actually a similar situation uh, to to explain my ridiculously vague and convoluted story there about this Paul's graph decision. Um, if a jury makes what what the, the 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 court thinks is the wrong call, the judge uh, has to go through some really really tough mental gymnastics uh, to get past that causation decision. In he, in this decision, uh, the, the 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 appellate court has to determine whether the accident was truly caused by an inebriated uh, driver or caused by this dangerous U-Haul trailer, um, and they have to convince themselves that they're uh, okay with the the jury's uh, uh, account of what happened, and then come to a legal conclusion about what evidence was introduced and whether it biased the jury. They have to set aside what caused this car accident. They have to zoom out, and they have to say, well, did they say the word bag of dope in an unacceptable way? I think that that is... Uh, an obtuse enough reference uh, that the appellate court will have said, "Okay, we're not going to disturb the uh, the outcome of the jury. The jury decides causation. They determine really what caused this accident. And just simply mentioning that there was a bag of dope in the car, that's not enough to have biased the jury uh, and, and made their decision impossible. Actually, uh, Connor, the appellate panel was a little more receptive no! than you're suggesting. This is a tough legal one, and I failed it. I feel No, like you a had failure. a great analysis. It's just that the new trial was ordered because the Court of Appeal didn't like the bag references. They thought that was prejudicial. Crass. Instead, they only wanted the exact amount of marijuana consumed by Brunhilde, Thelma, and Louise. That's a good answer. So you had a great analysis. These but judges, they're smart. They, they 
it came out uh, the different way. You know, as you were describing that, though, uh, you know how I felt? I felt the same way as when I was in college and I was would write the conclusion to a term paper. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I knew that 98% of my work was done. You know, yeah. writing, it's like, you know, you, you sit down and you open up a vein and, and, and <laughs> bleed. That's bleed, what Hemingway yeah. said about writing. And that's how I felt about term papers in college. But when you got to the conclusion... You were done. And yeah. so there was this feeling of joy that would course through you. You know, you'd write something like the philosophical parameters of the paradigm shift. or It's self-evident. <laughs> and you'd say, that'll hold that professor. Yeah. That's what we all did, right? Yeah. Oh, in, in, in writing term yeah. papers. And as you were talking, I realized we're here at the end of the episode. I don't have to be brilliant anymore as I right. was so exhaustively the it, first 35 minutes. Absolutely. No, I wouldn't say that. Oh, I did say that. That wasn't very modest of me. Anyway, uh, great well, job. Well, I'm going to get that bell next week, though. I'm going to get revenge. You yeah, got it right exactly. there. Thank you very uh, much. I didn't deserve it. No, but just to demonstrate that we have the bell. Yeah, the bell. There you go. Hey, everybody, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on Too Many Lights.